thoughts were on the topic of uh, forgiveness in society. And the survey had the following findings. They found that uh, 62% of Americans said they needed to have more forgiveness in their personal lives. They found that 94% of those surveyed said they wanted to see more forgiveness displayed uh, in public across the United States in general. They also found that 50% of those surveyed said there are certain scenarios where people should never be forgiven. And when asked what those particular situations are, uh, the four most common in no particular order were in times of abuse, murder, sexual crimes, and crimes that have been intentionally committed. They also found these final two statistics, the first being that 60% of those surveyed said that forgiveness is conditional, but not only is it conditional, but it depends on whether or not the offender is the first one to apologize, and then forgiveness can be offered if they also make the necessary changes to their behavior. And finally, 25% or one in four of those U.S. adults said that when looking to see if forgiveness is applicable to their specific situation, they choose to look to their family and friends rather than looking to their you know, particular religion for whether or not uh, forgiveness is acceptable for the, the given situation they are in. And that was conducted in 2010. And I think if we look you know, 12 years in the year 2022 to where we are today, we are a much less forgiving society than we were way back then, you know, just in terms of our simple everyday vernacular that we, that we have, we know um, that we didn't have 12 years ago is that term now that we all know of, of being canceled or cancel culture where, you know, somebody, if they sin against a particular person or they mess up in the past, instead of, you know, even if they, you know, apologize to, hey, what I did was wrong, oftentimes society at large says, well, you should have known better, and as a result, that person may lose their job if they're a particular famous person. They may lose endorsements, movie deals, um, the list goes on and on. But we don't just see that in society at large. We also see that maybe when we're at school or, or work with our you know, fellow co-workers or our teachers. And we see you know, this lacking of forgiveness with our relationships as well. So tonight I want to do something a little bit different than what I'm, I'm accustomed to doing. If you've heard me uh, preach before, I always do you know, uh, story A, story B, story C, um, and try to pull different points from each of those. But tonight I want to just tr uh, try something different and focus specifically on the story of Joseph, and, and specifically in chapters 42 through 45, where he is reunited with his brothers. And look at a few simple lessons of forgiveness that we can learn from this story. So before we dive in to that story in Genesis 42, I want to first pause and offer some background for what's going on. Uh, many of us are very well um, aware and versed in the story of Joseph and what's going on, but there's some people who this could be you know, the first time that they've heard this story, um, um, and they're not just familiar with, with where Joseph is at and what's going on. So when we look at the position that Joseph's in, we see... And we're not going to read all of these verses that, that I've attached to this, but they're there for your reference. We see in Genesis 37 that Joseph is his father's favorite, so much so that his father gave him a coat of many colors. Um, and as the story of Joseph unfolds, we see that uh, Joseph's brothers were very unhappy with him because he was his father's favorite, but also because of the vision that he had and the vision that he shared with his brothers. So his brothers start talking and saying, how are we, you know, how are we going to deal with Joseph? Because he's you know, really on our nerves. And the initial plan was, well, what if we just killed him? Um, but Joseph's brother, Judah, steps in and says, no, let's not do that. What if we just sold him into slavery? And so after conversing, that's what they chose to do. And so sure enough, as, as the chapters roll on, 
uh, Joseph is sold into slavery, and he arrives in Egypt. And what we see is that through Joseph's time, or while he's in Egypt, God was with him, and he helped Joseph rise to power, um, or to powerful positions. And that wasn't without his setback. So we know that, that Joseph, he worked his way up to the, being in charge of Potiphar's household. Then he had, the, had a setback where Potiphar's wife accused him of, of trying to sleep with her, and because of that, he was thrown in prison. Um, and after, uh, or while he's in prison, Pharaoh has a dream which leads up to where Joseph is and uh, what position Joseph is in in Genesis chapter 42. And that vision that nobody was able to interpret except for Joseph basically was Joseph, uh, or that Egypt had seven years to prepare for a famine. And then after those seven years were up, there's going to be severe famine that came all across the land. So that's sort of the position that we see. And because Joseph could predict that situation, he was placed in this powerful role. He was placed and responsible for making sure Egypt was prepared to handle the famine that was to come. And so as we wrap up Genesis 41 and dive into our passage here in Genesis 42, we see that the famine begins and people from all around the, the, the known world are coming to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Um, and in that group of people, that as we read, is Joseph's brothers. And so this is setting us up for a... Uh, collision course uh, for Joseph and his brothers to be reunited after some time. So if you've got your Bibles open in Genesis 42, we're going to look at Genesis 42 and begin reading in verse 6, and we'll go through uh, verse 17. So verse 6 reads, Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him uh, with their faces to the ground. And when Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my lord, your servants have, not, have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And so he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies, and by this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So send one of you and let your brother, uh, and bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested. Whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them together in custody for three days." And so looking at this initial interaction, here Joseph is. He sees his brothers for the first time since being sold into slavery. And I think it's interesting to look at how Joseph initially responded to, to seeing his brothers for the first time. And from you know, a, a, an outward perspective and from what we can gather, it, it appears as though Joseph is almost um, grappling and trying to come to terms with how he should feel about seeing his brothers again. We know that he didn't greet them with open arms. He didn't say, hey, guys, how's it, how's it going? It's been so long since I've seen you. How, how are you holding up? How have these last few years treated you? That's, that's not the approach that he took. We do see that he spoke roughly to them, right? He accused them of being spies, and even so much so that he threw them in prison for three days. And then we also see that, that our, our reading showed that he recognized his brothers, yet he treated them like strangers, 
And in, in reflecting on that uh, during my time reading that passage over and over, the, the thought that I sort of thought of was, have we been in a, in a similar situation like that before? Um, not, not particularly the, you know, well, we're in a famine and we're trying to save the country from starving to death, but from the situation of, you know, Joseph, here he is, he's in a position of power and somebody's coming to him for help, but not just anybody, it's his brothers and, and these people who, who have sinned against him and people that have, that have hurt him greatly. Um, and, and we think about that from our perspective is, you know, an example that, that I thought of was maybe with the upcoming Thanksgiving holidays. We have maybe families, family members, maybe relationships in the family that have been torn apart, things have been said, um, actions have been taken, and you're not really on speaking terms with a particular person of your family. And the holiday season is coming up, and you know that you're going to run into that person um, at, at the Thanksgiving holiday. But what you don't see coming is that when you arrive uh, on that Thursday in November to hang out with your family, that, that person that, that has sinned against you, that has hurt you, and, and has caused pain to you, they come up to you and they say, hey, I, I need your help. There's something going on in my life. There's something that I'm battling, and I need your help to resolve this. That's sort of the, the position that, that Joseph is in, is his brothers are coming to him and saying, you know, they don't have food and they need food, and he's in the position to where he can help them or to where he cannot. And maybe that's something that we may, may have found ourselves in in the past or maybe something that we could you know, certainly find ourselves in that situation down the road. But from you know, the story of Joseph, luckily the, the story doesn't end there in just this initial interaction. There's a lot more that takes place following um, his brothers being sent back to, uh, to, to get their youngest brother. And so as the chapter continues in 42, we get to the next interaction in Genesis chapter 43. And basically all what has happened between there is, of course, Joseph's brothers go home, they bring their youngest brother Benjamin, and they bring them back to Egypt. And as we come to our next passage, that'll be in Genesis 43, verse 26, if you want to have that ready, we see that Joseph sees his brothers and he tells the steward of his house, hey, go invite them over and invite them to my house to eat. And so sure enough, that's what the steward does, and they begin to gather into that room. But again, similar to the first reaction, we still see that Joseph is trying to determine and figure out how he should feel about this particular situation. When we read Genesis 43, verse 26, we uh, let me find it here real quick. I lost my place. It reads, When Joseph came home, they brought, uh, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, uh, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin and his mother's son and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. And then he washed his face, and he came out and controlled himself. He said, Serve the food. So we see here Joseph is. He finally sees his youngest brother Benjamin for some time. And he's sort of prying his brothers, asking, hey, how's your father doing? Is, is your father well? Um, is he still alive? And then he sees his brother, and, and, and there are some different translations. One translation I read says his heart yearned for his brother. Um, the the uh, scripture I'm reading from tonight says he, he had great compassion for his brother, so much so that he had to leave the room to regain control of himself. 
However, that moment is, is sort of short-lived because then when we continue over into Genesis chapter 44, we see that he starts to you know, come up with this plot against his brothers. He's got, he's got something else maybe that, that he's not quite ready again from, from the outside looking in. He's not really ready to, to forgive his brothers quite yet. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 44, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then he commanded the steward of his house to fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. Um, and they had gone only a short distance from the city. And now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this day that my Lord drinks, and by this he, that he practices divination? You have, been, you have done evil in doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? Whichever of it your servants is found with it shall die, and we uh, also will be my Lord's servants. And he said, Let it be as you say, he who found it shall be my servant, and the, shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. And then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, and then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. So here Joseph is, is you know, right after he has a short moment of, of compassion for his brothers um, and, and yearning for them, and then follows up with this plot that he has to you know, um, sort of um, you know, maybe, maybe see if he can, he can get his brothers. Um, and sure enough, his plan works just as he had wanted it to in that he said, hey, plant this silver cup in my youngest brother's sack, and then we're going to catch these guys you know, red-handed. Um, and so after that happens, you know, they, they, the brothers say, look, if one of us stole something, you know, feel free to, to put, put, the, put, us, put the guy who stole it to death, and then the rest of us will be you know, your servants. And at that moment, when, when they're searching through all of those things and, and they find that silver cup, you know, Joseph at that moment has the, his brothers in the palm of his hand. And this is at that particular moment where he gets two choices ultimately. Number one, he's in a very powerful position in Egypt, so he can just as easily you know, kill his brothers or do whatever he wants to do to get revenge on his brothers. He has that option. The other option is, is that he can make the choice to forgive his brothers and, and to sort of reconcile the relationship that he has with them. And I, I think what we see in Genesis chapter 44 and the verses that follow this is that Judah sort of steps in, and he starts pleading for Benjamin's life, and just says, look, just take my life instead of Benjamin's, just don't kill Benjamin. And as this whole conversation um, is sort of going back and forth, we see that ultimately the decision has to be made by Joseph. And that decision that he made is he chooses to reveal himself to his brothers, um, and then he chooses to forgive them. And I want to look at, at, I know these first three passages have been very lengthy, I promise this is the, the last one, but Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15, where we sort of, uh, where, we, where we see Joseph choose to forgive and reveal himself to his brothers. And beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him uh, when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. 
And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life, for the famine uh, has been in these land for two years, and, they are, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt." Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for yet there are five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, the eyes of, your, of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, uh, his brothers talked with him. And so what a powerful story, I think, it is of this journey of forgiveness that Joseph goes down. He ultimately makes that choice to forgive his brothers, and he talks to them and reconciles uh, the relationship that he had with them. And, and I think that from this, um, th- these short passages, that there's a few you know, key takeaways that we have um, about uh, forgiveness and I think the first one that, that we sort of learn from this story is that uh, forgiveness isn't always an easy choice. I mean, if we look at the story of Joseph, it took Joseph several different occasions before he was ready to forgive his brothers for what he had, he had done. We read, of course, in the first interaction, well, he, he threw them in prison, he called them spies, he, was, you know, he acted like he had no idea who they were. And Ultimately, you know, I think sometimes we find it easier in our hearts to say, well, that person has wronged me in the past, that person has sinned against me, and instead of me finding it in my heart to forgive them and me choosing to forgive that person, it'll just be much easier and much simpler if I just cut that person out of my life. If I just say, you know what, this is the end of it, I'm, I'm sick and tired of dealing with this person, and, and we just leave it there. But we see that that's not the story of Joseph, and that's not the decision that Joseph chose to make. But I see a second point that, that sort of builds on this first one, which is that forgiveness is also an intensely personal decision. Nobody can make that choice for me. Uh, you know, from the perspective of Pharaoh, you know, or Joseph, Pharaoh couldn't make him forgive. Uh, his father couldn't make him forgive. His servants couldn't make him forgive. That was a decision that Joseph had to make. He had to make the choice to forgive his brothers. And as we'll read uh, in a a few moments, we'll we'll read from Matthew chapter 18. But in verse 35 of Matthew 18, you know, Jesus sort of reveals to us that the battleground of forgiveness is going to be in my own heart. Um, And when we interact with people or when when there are times that people have sinned against us or hurt us, it's important for us to, to realize that they're going to know whether or not I've truly forgiven them. Uh, They're going to know um, you, you know, if, 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 I've, if I've moved on from, from the sins that they've committed against me based off of my actions, based off of how I'm treating them, that's always something that, that's important to um, consider and to remember. But thirdly, I think that we, we learn from this story um, that forgiveness means letting go of the past. And in just a moment, we'll, we'll look at, um, at a passage later on in, in Genesis chapter 50. But what is important to understand is that when we make the choice to forgive somebody, we are putting that past sin, we're putting that wrongdoing that was committed against us, 
we're putting that behind us. We're no longer um, going to, we're not going to hold that over somebody, make them feel bad. We're not going to belittle them. We're not going to make it seem as if they owe us something. And we look at the story of Joseph. Well, Joseph didn't constantly remind his brothers, like, hey, remember that time you sold me into slavery? Well, because you did that, you owe me this, this, and this. He didn't beat them over the head with that. When he made the choice to forgive them, he moved on. And in fact, we see that, that Joseph's response after you know, making amends with his brothers and forgiving them is, he, he welcomed them into his home, he welcomed them into Egypt, and he took care of them, and how important that is for us to uh, reflect on. But then, I think, finally, the, the key takeaway from this um, story of Joseph is that, looking at it from the perspective of the brothers, sometimes receiving forgiveness can take time. Um, it won't always be uh, instantaneous for somebody to forgive us. And in fact, if we look at Genesis chapter 50, um, this really looks at right after... Um, Jacob, which is their father, had, um, had, had died. In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 15, we read, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before, uh, before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers, uh, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, and to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, from this story of Joseph, it took him several years um, before he was able to forgive, from the time he was sold into slavery to after the interactions he had, after seeing his brothers again for the first time. And what's important to remember is that sometimes when we hurt somebody, you know, looking at this again from the perspective of his brothers, when we, when we hurt somebody, when we do something to them um, or, or, or take action, say words that, that cause scars and cause pain, it may, it may take a while as, as often as we try to, to speed up the process. Sometimes it, may, it, it can take somebody a long time before they are ready to find it in their hearts um, to forgive us. But I don't want to just focus specifically on um, this story in particular. I want to try and draw some parallels and at least look at the example that, um, that Jesus gives to us in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew uh, chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn there, we'll look at that parable, um, and, then, and then the lesson will be yours. So Matthew chapter 18 uh, and verses 21 uh, through uh, 35. Again, this is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And what we see, um, before we dive directly into it in, the, in verses 21 and 22, uh, it says, Then Peter came up uh, and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Uh, another translation that I read, and many of yours may say it, but it's up to seventy times seven. And as often as we, you know, many of us have reflected on this point, um, I think it's always just important for us to, to reflect on the fact that, you know, what point is Jesus trying to drive home to Peter? And I, I think what, what, Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter here is that, you know, there, there's not, for us as Christians, there's not a set limit. He's not literally saying you need to forgive this person, you know, 490 times, right? 70 times 7. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that for us as Christians, we need to have the hearts that are willing to forgive somebody as often as it takes. Just as God is always there to forgive us, uh, no matter how many times we sin, how many times we fall down um, and mess up, 
we need to be willing to show that level of forgiveness to those around us. But then we dive into the parable itself, which begins in verse uh, 23. Um, And verse 23 reads, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the servant uh, came out, uh, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe me. And I went a verse too far, but that's all right. But if we look at uh, Genesis, or we look at verses 23 through 27, we see that the servant owed 10,000 talents. And if I've done my math correctly, I believe that's 60 million days of work which essentially means he's never going to be able to repay that debt. He can't pay it. His kids, his grandkids, and multiple generations down the line, they won't be able to repay this debt that he owed. And after learning his fate from the king, he you know, pleads with the king to, to, to do whatever he can um, to just give him more time and let him, let him try and pay it off. But the king does something gracious and shows this man uh, compassion and chooses to forgive this man of his entire debt. And then we look at verses... 28 through 34 to see, you know, this man was just granted a a, a miraculous thing where this king chose to forgive him, and how does he respond in kind? And I I got ahead of myself in reading verse 28 already, but if we pick up in verse 29 and read the remaining portion of this um, parable, it says, So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had any mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So here the servant was. He was just granted this, uh, this, um, this extraordinary act of forgiveness by this king. And how did he respond in kind to a person that owed him a fraction of that debt? He wasn't willing to show that same level of forgiveness. And that begs the question, can we sometimes act the same way as this servant did? Here we are, you know, we have sinned, we have fallen down so many times, and, and we are often undeserving of, of God's forgiveness, but yet here he is, And he grants it to us time and time again, no matter how many times we sin, how many times we fall down. Even if we repeat the same sin over and over again, God is always there and God is always willing to forgive us. But are we willing to show the same type of forgiveness to those that we see on a day-to-day basis? Are we willing to show that to our coworkers, to our family, to our friends? Or do we simply say, you know what, you keep making the same mistake over and over again. You keep sinning against me, no matter how many times I tell you it hurts. And we just choose not to forgive that person. We don't show that same level of forgiveness. And then I think that begs the question to ask, you know, as a Christian, does our attitude about forgiveness or our attitude towards forgiveness, are we glorifying God with our um, capacity uh, and willingness to forgive others? And on this point, I just want to close on two uh, passages, um, and, then, and then the lesson will be yours. So the first passage is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It reads, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In reading that, that particular verse and the verses leading up to that, I just 
couldn't help but think about how great it is to know that, that we have a God that is always there and willing to forgive us. You know, our God, He doesn't care, again, how often we sin, how often we fail. He doesn't put a limit, as we read in Matthew 18. He doesn't put a limit on how many sins we can commit before His forgiveness runs out. And are we always willing to show that type of forgiveness to others? But then finally, I just want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 with you. Genesis 31 begins by reading, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And in the passages that, or the verses rather, that, that lead up to these two verses, it spends a, a good deal of time talking about you know, um, old, old habits, old ways that we once had. But then part of this is talking about when we became Christians and we put on, you know, when we were immersed in the waters of baptism, we made a decision as Christians to live a life that would be glorifying to Christ. We, put, we made that decision to, um, to, to become more like Christ. And I think a big important and important part of that is to have the heart of forgiveness that Jesus has so often shown to us. Um, so tonight, I hope, I know those are not any uh, profound thoughts, but I, I hope that that uh, possibly gave you uh, some things to, to think about and to analyze and look internally to say, how, you know, am I willing to show the level of forgiveness to others that, that God has shown to me? Am I willing to, to put aside how often or how many times that somebody has hurt me and choose to forgive that person? Maybe you're somebody in the audience tonight and you struggle with that. You struggle to have that heart of forgiveness that, that we are to have as Christians. Um, or maybe you're somebody in the audience tonight who you've, you've spent a great deal of time you know, studying the Bible and, and you're ready to pro, proclaim that Jesus Christ uh, is the, the uh, Son of God. And if there's anything that we can do for anybody tonight, please let us know by coming to the front uh, as we stand and as we sing.